God, would you prepare our hearts this morning to accept your word? Please silence in us any voice but your own. That hearing, we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. There's a running joke among some students that C's get degrees and D's get diplomas. Not sure if you've ever heard that joke. Um, Some of you might not think that's very comical if you're a a teacher. Um, You might even think that that's not what you want students to to believe. Um, But it is true, actually, and I should know that that's true. Um, I was not the best student in my my life. I I got better as I got older, but uh, my first few years of college were a little shaky. Uh, we'll, we'll, that, that's probably putting it moderately. Is that right, Mom? <clears throat> uh, the struggle um, was in large part my, of my own making, right? Things like, you know, doing homework, uh, things of that nature, right? Uh, however, uh, test taking was never uh, a strong suit of mine. I, I never felt like it was the, the best, uh, most accurate uh, way to evaluate my learning, uh, yet teachers obviously disagreed and they kept giving me tests. Uh, I didn't do very well on those tests. Uh, they were a source of trouble for me a- academically, and maybe some of you can relate. Maybe you can, can, can I get an amen that I'm not alone on, on tests are terrible. <laughs> tests are terrible. Teachers, take notice. All right, tests are terrible, right? So um, if you feel that way, I'm with you. Like, we just, we just bonded. Like, we, we just... We just became friends, whoever you are. Like, we're friends. Like, that's how friendship works, right? It's when we say, like, you too, right? That's good. So we hate tests too. We're all, we're all friends. We're all friends now. But as much as we can relate with that, this morning in, in 1 John chapter 2, we are not afforded the luxury of avoiding this test. I'm sorry to say, but you will have to take a test this morning. It will not involve a number two pencil, and it will be self-administered, but it will be a test nonetheless. Even over the next couple of weeks in 1 John chapter 2, we will see other tests that John gives. John, again, is the writer here, and he is writing a letter to Christians who may be questioning if they know, if they can know, or if they can have assurance that they know assurance of their faith in God, if they can know that they know God. John's purpose is to help Christians have assurance, to have certainty, to live with certainty about about knowing God. The first test of this assurance we find in verses 3 through 6 is this test of of, of knowing God. We could call it a moral test. Look at it in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Uh, now the word know is a, is a very important word in John's gospel. It's used some 30 times in just five chapters. And in three verses here, verses 3, 4, and 5, it is used four times. John's point is to say that there can be certainty about knowing God. Sometimes we ask people about, about what, they, what they believe and what they, what they know, and, and we get a lot of, you know, I hope this, or I, maybe this, or maybe if, if. No, we can know. Knowing here is not merely having a knowledge about God. Lots of people have a knowledge about God. This is knowing God. This is a personal knowledge through a personal relationship and, and personal fellowship with God. 
There's a profound difference between knowing about God and knowing God. There's a world full of people who they say they would know about God, but knowing God is something very, very different. John says, by this, we know that we have come to know him. And what is the this? Well, we keep reading. If we keep his commandments. So the verse could read like this. By keeping his commandments, we know that we have come to know him. By keeping his commandments, we know that we have come to know him. To keep his commandments means to obey his commandments. Whose commandments? God's commandments. To keep here is, is said to be in the present tense, which people who don't like grammar like me, like we don't really care, but it, it is helpful. It's helpful because the present tense tells us that this is a continuing or a regular action. So it, it's an ongoing obedience. It's not a one-and-done obedience. Is it a, it, it's a habitual obedience. If we keep on keeping his commandments, and what are we to keep? His commandments. In verse 5, if you look down just to verse 5, chapter 2, we'll get there in a moment, but you can just see the first phrase says, but whoever keeps his word. So in verse 5, he calls it his word. In verse uh, 3, it's his commandments. Uh, this is most likely a, a synonym for, for each, his word, his commandments, meaning anything that Jesus taught, right? Whatever, whatever Jesus said, that's what we're supposed to do by keeping his commandments, whatever God has told us. As we read through the Bible, we find that obedience is no small emphasis in the Bible. It's not a small emphasis for Jesus, and it's not a small emphasis for you and me. 1 John chapter 15 tells us that, that Jesus obeyed his Father, that even Jesus obeyed his Father. If you turn there to John chapter 15, back to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And you come to John chapter 15. You can look at verse 10. And it reads like this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus kept the commandments of the Father, and he's calling us to keep those same commandments. God prioritized obedience throughout the whole Bible. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What does he require? What, what does God demand of us? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23 says, By this command I gave you, gave them, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Walk in the way that I command you. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. To keep his commandments is not only an external activity, though, is it? One author named B.H. Coral notes that obedience is both an outward act and an inward attitude. 
an outward act and an inward attitude. God is not looking for people who grudgingly obey him as though we're checking off the box to say, see, I obeyed God. That is not what God is looking for. He is looking for people who obey him out of love, out of a a heart that, that, that wants to do what God wants them to do. The moral test here, or the ethical test of knowing God, is obedience to the things of God. That's the test. You, you want to know if, if, you're, if you know God? You want to know how you can know that you know God? The test is, do you obey the things of God? One study Bible says, obedience reveals commitment to Christ. The one who knows God will obey God. The one who knows God will obey God. That's the evidence of a changed life. The evidence of knowing him is obeying him. That is the evidence. Those who do not want to obey God give no evidence of knowing God. This is the, the natural, spiritually speaking, the natural response to knowing God is to obey God. Another author says, conduct is the best evidence of character. Conduct is to character what leaves and flowers and fruit are to a tree. Conduct is the best evidence of character. John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love God, you'll keep his commandments. Obedience is evidence of knowing God. So in light of this test, then John offers a a contrast between two types of people in verses four and five, uh, verses four and five. And the first is shown in verse four, where we see a profession without obedience. Look at verse four. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Here we see a profession without obedience. John picks up the the emphasis of saying one thing and doing another. Now, you might remember a few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1, and we saw three times, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 1, verse 10, where John says, if someone says this, but does that, right? Says this and does that. And what John comes out with is that's lying. If you say one thing and do something else, that's called lying. Warren Wearsby observes that John identifies a lot of lying. In verse, chapter 1, verse 6, he, he's, we see that there's lying about fellowship with God. In chapter 1, verse 8, we see that there's lying about our nature, our sin nature. In chapter 1, verse 10, there's lying about our deeds, that, that we have no sin. In chapter 2, verse 4, here, there's lying about obedience. If we say that we know him, if someone says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Here's the reality. You you can fool a lot of people. You can lie to a lot of people. But here's what we know. God sees it for what it is. God doesn't say of this one who says I know him, but doesn't obey him, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe he does know me. No, he says that that one's a liar. 
That person is a liar who says one thing and does something else. The one who professes to know God but does not obey God is, according here to verse 4, a liar and the truth is not in him. Which means that there is actually an objective way to tell if someone is a Christian. We don't like that. Some people don't like that. That sounds judgy, right? That, that as if you can tell if I'm a Christian. Well, according to the Bible, there's actual evidence of what a Christian looks like. There's actually evidence of someone who knows God. There's actually objective evidence. We can say that we know God. We can say whatever we want, but our life, our conduct, will show of whether or not that is true. John is pointing out that obedience is the test here. Obedience is the objective test. Now, if you're sitting there and thinking, okay, but when, when he writes, uh, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, you might be thinking to yourself, well, there have been times in my life where I've not kept God's commandments. And if you, you know, all of us should say that, right? All of us would be like, well, I've not kept God's commandments all the time. So is, is John, what, what is John talking about? Is he talking about people like that? Uh, again, he, he, the, the, the grammar is helpful because when he, when he writes, whosoever says and does not keep, the words says and keep are in the present tense, which means that it's an ongoing action. So what John is saying is those who continue or those who maintain that they know God while continually not obeying God, those people are liars. So he is not talking about being perfect. He's not talking about sinlessness. He's not saying that, that, that the only people who know God are the people who, who never sin. Back in chapter 1, we already know that if we say we have no sin, we're lying. We all have sin. The question isn't about perfection. The question is about progress. The question is about, about the trajectory of our life. Are we pursuing holiness? Is there a progressive spiritual growth? Is there a trajectory towards obedience? Christians still sin. So the issue cannot be that we all have to be sinless in order to have assurance. That can't be what John is saying. Instead, it is spiritual growth. It is a, a, a testimony of obedience that's how we can know that we know God. John is clear here. You are a liar if you say that you know God, but you continue to not obey God. He calls that one a liar. And there are a lot of people running around saying they're a Christian and they care nothing for the commandments of God. Listen, you cannot be a Christian and not obey the commands of God, period. You cannot be a Christian and hate the Bible. You cannot be a Christian and say that, that God's word is not God's word. The only way we become a Christian is, is by knowing what God's word says. And by the Spirit enlightening our eyes to what he has told us. Well, John continues in verse 5 with the contrasting description. Right? So here's the negative. If someone says they know him, but they don't obey, they're a liar. Well, what's, what's the reverse of that? And we see it in the, rest, in the beginning of verse 5. It says, but whoever keeps his word... In him, truly, the love of God is perfected. Here we see love perfected by obedience. Right? The contrast here is the one who keeps God's word uh, with the one who keeps God's word versus the one who just says that they keep God's word. 
This one is obeying habitually. Again, present tense. He who, who keeps his word, who continues ongoing, regular action. John says, in him, truly the love of God is perfected. The word perfected there could be brought to maturity. This is how the love of God is perfected. This is how your love for God, we could say, is perfected. Our obedience to God's word is the response of our love for God. One theologian, uh, Warren Wearsby, points out that there are three motives for obedience for humans. Right? One is we do it because we have to do it. Right? That's more of a, a slave to a master. You're, you're, you're made to do it. Another is that we need to do it. You might be a, 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 um, an employee, a worker who needs a paycheck to take care of your family. So you, you need to do it. But the third motive is that we want to do it. And this is the Christian's motive for obedience. It's out of love for the Father. We obey out of love. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. What he's saying that the Christian who obeys, motivated by love for God, that one is being brought to maturity. Our love for God is perfected as we obey, and when we obey, confidence follows. This is the objective assurance that we know God. Verse 3 again, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now I would pause just for a moment to say this. We are not talking about obedience that saves us. When we talk about obedience, we're not talking about obeying God enough for God to love us and then we have assurance. No, no. The obedience follows the salvation. Meaning God has saved us, therefore we obey. You cannot obey your way into salvation. That's not how it works. That would be, that would be a work. That would be our effort attaining our own salvation. And yet salvation comes in no other name than the name of Jesus. Well, John concludes this section here with what seems to be a restatement of the test from verse 3. Read it in verse 5. The rest of verse 5 says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see the repetition there. By this we may know. You look back to verse 3 and you can see it as he writes. And by this we know. It's a, a repeated statement. What again is the this? Well, for that we look into verse 6. By what? By what? By this. But what is the this? It's the end of verse 6. To walk in the same way in which he walked. We can know that we are in him, that we have fellowship with God, if we walk in the same way that Jesus walked. If we walk in obedience. You can see a progression here in John's writing. In verse 3, he talks about knowing. In verse 5, he talks about being in him. And in verse 6, he uses this language of abiding in him. This is language that John uses elsewhere. If you have a Bible, turn with me back to the Gospel of John, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is, is referred to, um, 
is, is known for this, this language of abiding. I'll just pick out a few of the verses here in John chapter 15. Come down to verse 4. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Drop down to verse 10. Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. To know him is to have fellowship with him to be in him, to abide with him. How can we know that if we keep his commandments, if we walk in the same way in which he walked? Now, how do we do that? How do we walk in the same way in which he walked? Let's come back to 1 John. Now we're flipping around a little bit this morning, but go, come back to 1 John chapter 2, and let's look at the first two verses and what it says to us about Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. John writes this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Now, we learn a few things about Jesus here. Two of them is that Jesus is called here an advocate with the Father. That means that the Jesus goes to the Father on our behalf. Well, we can't do that. So walking in the same way that he walked must not mean being an advocate with the Father. That's, that, that job's taken. What else do we see? Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Well, clearly, we cannot be the propitiation for, the, for our sins. Propitiation means the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. We can't satisfy God's wrath. Only a perfect sacrifice can do that. So Jesus does that job and no one else. So when we say walk in the way that he walks, certainly we can't be an advocate with the Father. We can't be a propitiation for our sins. But we also see something that he refers to Jesus as. Jesus the righteous at the end of verse 1. Jesus the righteous. What does that tell us about Jesus? It tells us that Jesus is the perfect example. He is the perfect pattern to follow. Not in his, his divinity, not in the things that only he could do, but in his, his, his morality, in his ethical living, in the way that he loved, in the way that he served, in his purity, and in his truth. Jesus is the example for us to follow, and he has recorded for us the commands of God to follow. So we walk as he walked by knowing what he has said. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 writes this. Finally, then Paul writes this. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you, may, that you do so more and more. That you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. The scriptures tell us how to walk and to please God. How do we walk after he has walked? We know God's word. That's how we walk as he walked. 
If you don't know the Bible, you're not going to know how Jesus walks. So we must know the Word of God. First John chapter 4, verse 17. Just flip over just a page or so. First John chapter 4, verse 17. John writes this. But this is love. But this, but this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. That's, that's the, the role of the Christian, right? is to walk as he walked, to, to obey the commands of God as Jesus obeyed the commands of God. Now, this is not new, and it's become quite a, a cliche anymore, but there's a simple question that became popular many, many years ago, and it originated from four little letters, WWJD. It's, what would Jesus do? And you, you, you know that. But it's a fair question to ask here. When we ask, walking as Jesus would walk, well, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus actually live? What would he actually do? How would he actually handle that situation at work? or that situation at school, or that situation with your family, or that issue that you're dealing with. What would Jesus do about this? What do we know about Jesus? What do we know about his conduct and his behavior and his character? What do we know about what Jesus loved? That Jesus loved the Father, and he obeyed the Father. What do we know about Jesus' love for, for people? He loved people, and he served people. He came not to be served, but to serve, Mark 10, 45 says. That Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He gave his life for other people. He fulfilled the mission of God by dying and rising again. Just this week in England, the Queen of England died at 96 years old. After 70 years of serving as the monarch of her country. In just these short couple of days, much has been said about her. Much has been made of her commitment, uh, of her commitment to her role and her sense of duty to Britain. But what about us? What could be said about us? What kind of commitment have we shown? What kind of commitment should be true of the Christian? What kind of constancy should be true of us in the calling that God has upon our life? Not, not to a particular vocation, but to keep his commands, to keep his word, to walk as Jesus walked. What if that's the testimony of your life? What if that were the testimony of your life? What is your funeral that people said of you is that they loved Jesus and they obeyed his commands? What if that were the, the testimony of this church? Not only would that be a great reputation, but from it, too, according to John, assurance would come to you and me that we know God. Christians, we can know that we know God. We can know that we, we have life. We can have assurance if we walk in obedience. How do we do it? By knowing God's word and by looking to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May God find us faithful. If you're with us this morning and you have yet to become a Christian, you must know that you cannot obey your way into heaven. You cannot obey your way, obey your way into assurance. Salvation comes in Christ alone, by grace alone, and through faith alone. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That is how one comes to God. And only then, only then once we come to know him, only then we walk in obedience, and only then can we have the assurance that God offers that we can know that we know. The invitation then to you is to come today, to come today to believe. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, a man asks Paul and Silas, how can I be saved? And to that they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. How can you be saved today? You believe by faith in what Jesus has done. Jesus does the saving. We respond in faith. Faith that the Bible tells us is a gift from God. If you've yet to come to Christ, we invite you to come today. If you have, then this week, would you walk would you walk in a way looking to Jesus, obeying and keeping God's commands this week? May God find us faithful to keep his commands. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that if we love you, we will keep your commands. There are some of us here today who can admit that there have been times in our life, even as a Christian, where we have not been living out this command. And God, would you help us today to do it? Would you help us by grace to hear your word, to hear the commandment from God himself through his word to obey? And would we do that not, not because we have to, not because we necessarily need to, but because we want to. Because your commands are good. Because fellowship with you is what our soul actually longs for. Would you help us to do it this week? For those with us today who don't know you, God, the invitation is to come to know you as their father today, to understand what Jesus did on the cross by dying for their sins, that they might have eternal life and enjoy the assurance of knowing you as Father, knowing their sins are forgiven, knowing that one day they'll be with you. The response is to repent and to believe, to admit that we're a sinner, to believe that Jesus and Jesus alone is the payment for our sins, and to confess that he is Lord. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. God, we pray that even this morning. And we pray that you help us this week as we turn our eyes to you, that we'll walk in obedience for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our God.